0: Thanks for joining us on our walk through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In this series, we'll see many cultural similarities between the Pacific Northwest and ancient Greece. In the fifth mini-series, Gospel-Formed Worship, Paul covers topics like gender, communion, and spiritual gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues. We'll be challenged and grown by God's word. So join us Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, please visit doxa-church.com. Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians eleven, two to 16. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of a woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Okay. Here we go. This is what happens when you decide to preach through a whole book of the Bible, right? Uh, Eventually you get to difficult texts that are challenging and uh, not easy to accept, but at Doxa, we enjoy and submit to God's word and all of it, so we want to teach through all of it. Uh, It helps us know how to apply the text. When you're reading a passage and you go, how do I, what do I do with this? Because there's lots of those kinds of texts throughout the scripture. And if you're new to Christianity, you're going like, this is nuts, Right, like you'd go on. What do we just walk into? But if you look around, there's no women wearing head coverings that I can see. So we're going to obviously look at the whole idea that there's a cultural reality to this text. We want to do our very best job to enter into the culture of Paul's day and then pull out the timeless truths that we need to take seriously for our day. Uh, now, the reality is. All of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for, for instruction, for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, as Paul says to Timothy. Uh, but we have to do it in a way that draws out what God's intent is for his people of all time, which are timeless truths. And the, the truth about timeless truths is that they're not always fitting into our culture neatly and easily. In fact, I would say... Scripture actually confronts us regularly and is countercultural. And so if if every week you're here, you're like, oh yeah, man, that's great. I agree, totally, totally. Then you're probably not listening well. You should have some moments where you go like, oh, that's kind of tough, or that's hard, or I'm convicted, or I'm not sure I agree with that, or I'm gonna have to pray more on that. Then we're probably doing a good job of taking you through the text. It should confront, it should convict, and at times it should lead you to a place where you go, I don't know that I agreed with that before, but I wanna take seriously God's word So, I need to wrestle with that in prayerful ways. So, my hope is that will happen today as you work through this. Um, A running theme through the next several weeks in this section of 1st. Corinthians. We're going to look at 11, 12, 13, and 14. A running theme throughout this entire part of the letter Paul writes to the church in Corinth is uh, basically honoring God and honoring each other in our public gatherings. So, up until now, he's been talking about our freedoms and liberties in terms of how we are free to work out the understanding of the gospel in everyday life. Now, he's addressing how do we work out those freedoms in our gatherings together. And today, in particular, he's going to address the, the issue of attire, which we're going to come back to in a moment. But I want to just start in verse 2 because what Paul wants to do is he sets this up. He wants to affirm that they're committed to the teaching, but he's going to correct where they're walking away from it. And so he he today, as well as the coming weeks, as we look at these passages together, is going to continue to say: worship gatherings are not all about you. Okay? They're about God's glory, first and foremost. How do we honor him? be faithful to display what he's like in everything we do. And then it's about how do we honor one another how do we serve the other? How do we equip the other? How do we think about other more than self? So if you primarily have been thinking church is all about the autonomous self coming in to receive what you want and walking out all alone, then you've misunderstood the very nature of what it means to be a part of the church. It's not all about you, it's all about him and, the, and especially all about Jesus and then all about how we together reflect what God is like in community as we love one another and serve each other. So that's what we want to get after these next several weeks. Verse two, I commend you. Because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. The word traditions in the Bible is not primarily just referring to, like, you know, how we always celebrated Christmas together. Don't think of it that way. When Paul says traditions, he's he's referring to the body of teaching that was the fundamental constitution of the church. Ephesians was, in in a lot of ways, the fundamental constitution put all together in one particular block of teaching for how the church was supposed to understand the gospel and their new identity and how they work it out. in everyday life. And then there was the practices. And so there was the kind of the constitution of what the church is and how she lives. And then there's a practice, how they engage in their public worship together, which is what we're looking at in the next few weeks. So Paul's saying, you're doing a, you're remembering them, but he also has to correct something that's going on. And as I said, in particular, today he's going to correct their attire in their worship gatherings, their specific uh, head covering. So let's look at that verse four. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now I want to stop there and do some explanation first before we go into this. Culturally, in that day, uh, if men were wearing a covering in the gathering, it could be very confusing to the outsider and very dishonoring to the insider. Confusing to the outsider because if you were Jewish and had come to faith in Jesus, you knew that the Jewish leaders would put prayer coverings over them when they'd pray to express their honor and submission to God, but it was a a way of doing it that was very Jewish in nature, and so the Christian would wonder, wait a minute, did you go back to what we believed or did you move forward in Christ into this new belief? That'd be one of them. The second is the pagan uh, priest would also do that as a form of idolatrous worship. So they would be going like, what happened? Are they Jewish? Are they pagan idolaters? What are they? And then there was one other possibility and that is that men who would grow out their hair long did it to intentionally make it known that they were available for homosexual behavior with another man. So those are kind of possibilities. I'm gonna tell you, I'm not sure which one it was, but it's probably one or all of those, okay? Uh, That's for the man. For a woman, uh, letting her hair down or wearing a covering, um, I'm sorry, yeah, letting letting her hair down or taking off the covering was a way of saying, I'm unmarried and available, okay? Or worse, I'm a prostitute, and even another worse, uh, I am married and I am available. Okay, so that, that would have been a cue. Like, so if you're in a public gathering with the saints and a woman who is, you know is married takes off the covering in their culture, that was a way of saying, I'm available to other men right now, okay? So very dishonoring, as you can imagine, to her marriage vows in that particular situation. So Paul's concern with their behavior, here as in, as in the other texts that we're gonna look at in the following chapters, is cultural, theological, and natural, cultural what is the culture around us seeing us do and will it confuse them will it mislead them what it might even cause a stumbling block for their faith also theological what does this say we believe about God and how he made us and then natural what does the very nature of things say about how we should interact as men and women as we look at ourselves even just biologically um, in uh, as it seems obvious to us now one of the reasons Paul has to address this issue for them is because the Christian community in that day was the most liberally progressive community of all communities in terms of their value of women. Like it was remarkable what, how women were treated. In fact, if you're in the room today as a woman, you need to understand the majority of the liberties that women appreciate in this country come back to a Christian ethic of women being made in the image of God and valued as equal. Okay, that, that is not something people appreciate all over the world, like we get to in our country, but its roots are in Christianity and the view of men and women as according to God and what he says about men and women. So keep that in mind as we keep going through this text. And Paul has to address, first of all, yes, you are there's an equality there, he's gonna affirm that, but there's also distinctives in how men and women are made. He's gonna address that. And all things should be done in such a way that we honor God and we honor each other. First of all, equality. Uh, As I said, the freedoms afforded to the members of the congregation of the early church would seem scandalous, frankly, to the rest of the world around them. If you were Jewish and a woman, you actually had to sit behind a veil in their public gatherings, and only men could be members of the synagogue, and only men could speak and contribute to the gathering together. So all of a sudden, these women are coming and they're free to use their gifts fully in the congregation, and there's a great value of who these women are. So that's a beautiful thing, but Paul needs to help them understand, let's make sure we do it still within the context of God's economy and order. The other thing that you would know if you know much about this culture is that it was a hierarchical culture in in the sense that men were valued higher than women. Women were not seen as equals. And so all of a sudden, there's this beautiful equality. Quality that the gospel brings about. In fact, we would... We would hear these scriptures probably passed on in the traditions that Paul gave to them that he's commending them for. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Thus making women and men equal at image bearers of God. God created us both that way. Also, Galatians 3, 28, where Paul reminds Christians of their equality in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. By the way, I'll pause here. It was so cool for me to watch the worship team and the diversity on the stage. I just, I want to keep growing in that as a church because God doesn't see us as different in that sense. It's just beautiful to see uh, men and women and a ver- variety of uh, ethnicities leading us in worship. So thankful for that. Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then in this text, Paul not only reminds them of their equality, but of their interdependence. Verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. All things are from God. So I I just want to stop and say as a church, I think we're growing a lot in valuing men and women equally and seeing all men and women getting to use their gifts in the gathering together. We, we, we have a long way to go, but I'm really encouraged in the, in the ways that we've come uh, f- you know, in the last four years. I also want to commend the fact that our missional community, communities are led by men and women together. We want to see a complementary nature in our leadership because we need men and women in ministry, men and women side by side beginning to lead the missional communities effectively. And you may not know this, but every elder meeting we have, our wives are with us Together, So together, it's always men and women in elders meetings praying, deliberating, asking God, how can we lead the church faithfully forward together? So I, I think we're doing better and growing, but we have room to grow as well. So uh, thank you, women, uh, for the way you're stepping into that. Men, thank you for the way you're stepping into that. I would pause and say one of our values is that we are contributors, not consumers. Some of you still are consuming, okay? So one of the ways that we embrace this text is we say, God, what is my gift? And how do I, as a man or a woman, be a contributor here at Doxa to actually be a part of shaping this culture? So we see men and women and uh, all the different ethnicities that are represented in our body being expressed in a beautiful way as we use our gifts to build up the body. Amen? We need to grow, and you've got to help us with that. Now, here's what's going on the Corinthians, Christ, Corinthian Christians are jumping in with this freedom, and the women especially are saying, Yes! We get to engage in this and we get to use our gifts and Paul is affirming that to be really clear. At the same time, it seems that in their emphasis of their newfound freedom, they're walking in a way that's dishonoring their husbands in particular, those who are married and husbands in particular dishonoring Christ and also therefore dishonoring the body of Christ. So yes, we're equal, but also we're distinct. We're gonna walk through that. Uh, They, By the way, I, I don't know, Like, as I prepared for this message, I thought, oh yeah, this is like one of those simple messages that the culture is just going to accept, right? You know, like we live in a culture where we are also struggling with the very same things in some ways that the Corinthian church was, and that we want to say there's absolutely no distinctions whatsoever in gender. But I want to be really clear, gender is not a construct. Gender is a created order that God put in place, In the very beginning, he made them male and female. And if you're in the room going, yeah, but I'm struggling with gender identity and confusion. I want to say there's tons of grace for all of us struggling wherever we're at, but God's not struggling with it. Like he knows how he made us. He made us male and he made us female. And he made us to be together in marriage as a husband and a wife. And God didn't change his mind on that one. That Jesus actually came and affirmed that thing very clearly in his teaching. And so I want to uphold that and honor God in the way that he calls us to be fully men and to be fully women, that we aren't asexual beings. Uh, if you want to just do a, a search on Wikipedia and ask, ask what does gender mean, it's crazy the definition you'll find today. We're so confused. And yet biologically, the very nature of things tells us it's not confusing. Any scientist can tell you the difference between a man and a woman, okay? So I wanna say that with grace, because I know some of you may struggle with that. I want you to enter into it with me and just say, let's just ask God what he says about it because we wanna honor God and not dishonor him. And we wanna honor being men and honor being women, because it's a good thing. It's a good thing. In the scriptures, God speaks really clearly about this. And he's real clear not only about men and women, but he's really clear about husbands and wives and the relationship between one another. In this passage, Paul refers to it as headship. Verse three, I I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So the question you should ask, and I'm sure you're doing it, well, what does head mean? Okay, it can mean three things in the, the Greek language. The word is kephale in Greek. The first thing is it means a physical head, and it's pretty obvious when it means that in the text. Uh, second, it can mean authority. And third, it means source. Because okay, those are the three options. Uh the, the people who would land on this idea that there are no distinctions between husband and wife, men and women, would land primarily on source and not on authority. Uh, the problem with that is that would then affirm that Jesus is the source of the church, but not the authority over the church. And I want to be really clear, Jesus is the head of this church, which means he's in charge. Okay, not me Not Donald, not the elders. Jesus is the senior pastor of Doxa Church. Jesus is the senior pastor of all the church. Jesus is the head, not just the source, but the authority over the church. The other problem with that is Paul uses the word authority in the actual text. So I land on the fact that it's both source and authority because he does reference woman coming out of man when he talks about Adam and Eve. And then he talks about a sign of authority when he speaks about the woman referring to the head covering. So there's clearly a both and reality here of source and authority, that we came from Christ as a church and he's our authority as well. And so we'll walk through what does that mean? Because then the next question you should ask is, well, what kind of authority are you talking about, Jeff? Well, let's look at Paul's words in Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husband, As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, clearly authority in headship, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So how does he define this? The key word is just as. As Christ, as as the church submits to Christ, wives submit to their husbands. I want to walk through that because I want to make sure, as some of you already are bristling and bothered, but it's God's word, so be bothered with God, not with Jeff. All right, okay. So before we go into what that means, I want to tell you the verse before wives submit to your husbands. It's chapter five, verse twenty-one, and it says this: Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does that mean? Well, what's really important is whenever Paul is using the word submission, he's using it in roles. Okay, so, that particular statement, submit to one another out of reverence in Christ, is the role of brother and sister in the family of God. So, what does that mean? And I'll get back to what the kind of submission he's calling wives to, but that means my wife submits to me as husband and I submit to her as sister. Does that make sense? Somebody going that you never heard that before. Well, we act, the, the, don't read the, the, the one section out of its context. Before he calls wives to submit to their husbands, it says, "Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ." Which means my wife is first my sister. Then I know that sounds weird. She's not really my sister. Just to be clear, in Christ she's a, a sister in the family of God. And so you know what? There are times she's going to confront me when I'm not walking in a way that that looks like Jesus. And in fact, after the first gathering, I said, so any feedback? And she goes, yeah, what about this, this, this? And I'm like, okay. I was listening to my sister in Christ consult me on how I need to think about women in the room as I preach, right? That's that's a form of submission. That's an honoring of her role as my sister in Christ. As her husband, it's now she submits to me, okay? Now, what's so beautiful about that is nobody has not submitted, okay? Like even as an elder of this church, I only get to serve in this capacity preaching because I submit to the elders of the church and I submit to you and, as my brothers and sisters in the church. So that means if you see stuff in my life that you think is inappropriate, you come to me and you talk to me and say, you know what, you spoke and that sounded really arrogant. Can we talk about that? I need to submit to you in that moment and let you speak into my life because I am submitted to you out of reverence for Christ. You see how that works? Like, in other words, there's not a person in the room that just gets to say I'm above everybody. And that's beautiful. It's mutual submission in the roles God's given us. It looks different when we work it out there. So, husbands, being the head of your wife, what kind of authority is Paul referring to? Look at Jesus. What does Jesus do? He lays down his life for the church. He, he gives of himself. Husbands, I want you to hear this. Whenever you hear the word headship, I want you to think sacrifice, servanthood, death to self. Okay, so when you, think, when you hear authority in the Bible, don't think power, think responsibility, think care, think willingness to give away, not take, okay? And I love the fact that Paul sandwiches this passage of Uh, in in verse three of of, uh, the head of a wife is her husband with this statement. I want you to understand, verse three, that the head of every man is Christ. He starts there going, men, you need to understand, you, you have to submit to Jesus. You gotta honor him, you gotta let him lead the way. And the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. He puts Jesus surrounding this idea in terms of Jesus's submission. A few things that I want to note about headship from that verse in these two passages. First and foremost, God is calling all men and all women first and foremost to submit to Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. We're all called to submit to him. Because if that doesn't happen, then everything else is broken. Second, we are called to submit like Christ, Okay, husbands, I already said this, but I wanna say it again. Your picture of submission is displayed in how Jesus submitted himself to God the Father, willingly laying his life down for his bride, the church. Husbands, you are called to submit to Christ as your head by selflessly being willing to sacrifice your personal interest for the interest and care of your bride. That's what that means, okay? Why is when you hear that, I hope what you hear is, God's calling me to submit to a man who's willing to lay down his life for me to sacrificially serve me to ensure that I become everything God intends me to be at the cost of his own life if necessary. And then go, well, who who wouldn't want that? In fact, if if this sounds bad to you, then then you don't know what's good for you. Right, because I'll tell you to have, and I sit down with women all the time and talk about about this topic and I say, let me ask you, if you had a guy who loved you, wanted to serve you, was willing to sacrifice everything for you and was committing himself to help you become everything God has ever intended you to be, whatever it cost him, would you want to submit to that guy? In other words, would you allow that guy to do that for you? And every woman goes, of course, of course. And some of the husbands in the room are going like, I wish I wouldn't have come today (laughs) because Jeff just made this whole deal of headship different than I thought it was. I thought it was power. Power. I thought it was control. I thought I get to do what I want. No way. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus, the most highly exalted one ever, made himself the lowest, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the pattern. Regularly with Janie, we try to go on a date together almost every week, and I'm not trying to tell you you all should do that, but I would say you probably should do it more than you have been doing it if you haven't been doing it. And uh, especially if you have kids, because kids, you know, are wonderful, but if we're not careful, they consume all of our time. And then one day they're gonna leave the home and you're gonna look at your spouse and go, I don't even have a clue who you are. And that's usually where most marriages fall apart is because they don't know who they're married to anymore. And so Janie and I try to take a date every Friday. And we do it lunchtime now because the kids are at school and because it's the whole day to take our time and be with each other. And every time we get together, I try to ask her this question. Sweetheart, how can I better serve you? What can I do to, to help you become everything God's intended you to be? And where have I not been doing that? Because I need to hear that. I need to be confronted where I'm not being a good servant to you, where I'm not sacrificing well for you. And sometimes she does. says nothing, you know, like we're doing fine. And there are other days when she has some things I need to hear, and it's not always easy. But I, it's my job. To, to be an understanding husband means I have to actually draw out of, my heart, out of my wife's heart the things that are going on inside so that she can speak to me about what she wishes would change and the way I serve her and the way that I care for her. So, man, I wanna encourage you to, to do that. And I wanna be really clear, ladies. No wife is called to submit to a domineering, controlling, selfish man. In fact, there are places in the Bible that say, like, that, please don't do that. And, and if you're one of those men... I want to rebuke you right now and say you you are dishonoring Christ because you're meant to be a picture of what He's like to your bride and you're dishonoring Him. And men, if you know of men like that, we need to get in their lives and we need to talk to them openly about the fact that they should be loving their wives in a way that glorifies Christ and and cares for their wife well. And women, if you, any of you are in that kind of relationship and you feel helpless please let us know as elders it's part of our job as we demonstrate what headship looks like as elders we want to make sure you get that kind of care in your life and protection so we want to help you if you're you're in a bad place please let us know we don't want that to continue that's dishonoring to you and it dishonors Jesus now unfortunately this topic is so controversial and i think the reason why is because we are so sinful and authority has been so distorted, and broken, and misused. We, we live in a sin-soaked culture that tends to view power and position in authority, instead of servant and sacrifice in authority. And I would say this. Unfortunately, we, because we value position and power so much, we don't actually value person what we end up doing is we end up saying, you're not valuable unless you're in a position or you're in a role, and as a result, those who aren't in positions or roles get demeaned or devalued in our culture. And I would say, uh, just one more, a little, pressing a little further, if we need equality in role to affirm our equality of person, we bring into question the ontological reality of our equality. Some of you are going, I don't know what you just said. So let me say it. In other words, if I must have an equal role with someone else in order for me to be an equal person, then I conclude that my very person is not actually equal because I need role to make me equal, not essence to make me equal. In this case, role and authority is what grants me equality and equal standing, not who I am apart from role and position. Now why this is so important, move away from marriage for a moment. Because if that's how you view equality, then as soon as you lose your position in your company, you feel less than. As soon as you don't get the promotion you had hoped you would get, you you sense that your very identity has been undermined. And the beauty of the gospel is that your identity is not in your position in this world or in a role that you play, but in Jesus Christ and his position in the heavenly realms that you and I, men and women, are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We don't need anything in this world to give us a sense of of identity or, or, or power or position. We already have it in Christ. Amen? And then when we have that, then we can serve in whatever role God puts us in without any sense that we've been diminished. And you go, well, where where are you getting this from? I'm getting this from Jesus. The entire picture that Paul paints is of Jesus being the one who did not give up his essence when he took on a role of servant. Paul in Philippians chapter two says, Jesus, though being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form uh, role of a servant. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, husbands, I want you to hear, you are to lay down your life, like like Jesus in submission to the Father as you submit to Jesus. Ladies who are married, wives, I wanna call you to, to submit to your husbands as a picture, as a display of how Jesus submitted to the Father's will in also laying his life down for his bride and loved her. And you're also a picture, you get a double bonus on this one, you're a picture of how the church submits to Christ. And so in a sense, there's like this double glory that you get in your submission to your husband. I want to talk about that glory idea now because that's the third thing I wanted to get after. Paul says, we are not called to dishonor, but to honor. Look at verse four. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Now, I I, I just just went to a, a professional sports event and when they sang the national anthem, all the guys took off their hats. Interesting that they still kind of intuitively do that. I think it probably just goes all the way back to how we honor with our head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. This is what would happen if you were caught in adultery that you're publicly in that day they would shave your head as a sign that you had been unfaithful. For we are not doing that, just to be clear. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a white wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. This is probably likely a shawl but it could also been her taking her hair up on, on top of her head. It could, there's different views on that. Most people think it's Shaw now with all the archeological digs and things we found. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Side note, Paul's not saying woman is not the image of God. We're gonna come back to that. He's just clarifying in relationship to the man uh, where, how she is glory uh, in, in a particular way. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Which remember, and this is kind of a crazy thought, the angels are here right now watching us as we worship, as we honor God, as we honor being men and women. They were there at the beginning when God created everything, so they know the order of creation really, really well, and they're wondering if we do as well as they're watching and what's even other, crazier is it says that men and women both will judge angels one day. And so I wonder if they're sitting here right now, hi angels listening in, I wonder if they're going, man, I hope these people really understand what God's like and understand how to honor him and how to properly reflect how he created men and women because one day we're going to sit under their judgment. That's a crazy thought. And so they're, they're observing what we're doing and how we honor God in these gatherings together. Now what's Paul getting at here in this honor, glory, dishonor type of statement that he's making? Well, first of all, we've got to go back to Genesis 1, where God, we read God created both man and woman in his image, I already said that, but then in Genesis 2, we see how he did it. So Genesis 1 is the macro view of God's creation, Genesis Two is the micro view of, of, of like how God creates man and women. And some of you know the story. God creates man out of dust, breathes, breathes life into him, brings the animals to him. He sees, he's naming them. He sees that they all have a mate. And, and it's kind of going, what about me? And God says it's not good that man is alone. So he's going to make a helper suitable, which is what we get the language complementary uh, to, that she is equal but different. So he's going to make a helper suitable to the man. So he puts the man to sleep. Notice that he doesn't grab another pile of dirt and breathe life into it. That's really important for understanding this text. So he puts the man to sleep, takes a rib, forms out of the rib a woman, Now, can you just imagine Adam's waking up, he knows God's going to be giving him some kind of a suitable helper, and all he's ever seen is animals up until this point. Right? So he wakes up, and he's like, whoa, man. I'm just kidding, he doesn't do that. But he does say that. but, but, But he says, this, at last, I mean, he's been waiting a long time with all these animals coming by. Like This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. And that may not sound like a romantic song, but it was the first romantic song, so it's the best at that point, okay? Adam is just singing of the beauty of this creation. And what's amazing is he sees somebody who looks like him, but she's not, and she's different, and she's far better looking, let's be honest. Okay, we all know that's true. Very nature of things says women are just beautiful. Okay, they are beautiful. Men, can I get an amen? Okay, if not, we need to talk. Okay, and when Paul says women is the glory of man, he's referring to the fact that she came from man, was brought to man to be for man, and this is key, not against the man. Not tearing him down, not dishonoring him, not somehow making him less, because she's glorious, and she could. Now, I want to make sure you hear this. Paul is not saying man is superior and woman is inferior. He's saying the woman exists to come alongside a man who was not sufficient all by himself, okay? In fact, the word helper is used of God when he comes to save us. So please, ladies in the room, I hope you hear. Helper is, guys need help, okay, okay? I don't want to, my wife gave me a little warning. She said, don't tear down the men to lift up the women. So I'm not going to tear you down, men. But I'm going to say, stop thinking so highly of yourself. You you, you need help. God says it. And women start to, don't let the culture say it's bad to be a woman and don't let the culture say it's bad to be a man. Both are made equally in the image of God and we need each other. We need each other. We need each other to be fully man and fully woman for the glory of God and each other's good. We need it. And I love this, that this concept of glory, I want you to hear this. You've heard me say it a variety of ways, but in this text in particular, the concept of glory means a full expression of another. A full expression of another. So when we talk about we want to live for God's glory, we're saying we want to be a full expression of what God's really like as best as we possibly can in how we sing, how we live, how we preach, how, everything, how we go to work. And, and when Paul says that woman is the glory of man. He's saying she is a full expression of him as as man is made in the glory and image of God. Now woman coming out of man is the glory of man, meaning she also is made in the glory and image of God to be an expression of God's glory and image coming out of man as a way of man saying, wow, God is glorious and I see a mirror reflecting what he's like in you, but in a different way. That's a cool thing, ladies. I hope you all go like, man, we got it good. Like we look, by the way anybody ever been to a wedding and go man the, the 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 groom was so good looking and man he was amazing right nobody does that they're all like the bride is amazing you don't stand up for the groom you stand up for the bride well, why is that because god wants us to reenact over and over again this story that when Adam saw her, he was amazed at her glory and her splendor, and it led him to worship God because she was a reflection of the image and glory of God coming out of him. So one becomes two, and then the two become one in marriage, And it becomes this beautiful display of how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one, but different. And how Jesus submits to the Father's will, but is no less God than God the Father. And in so doing, he shows what beautiful unity looks like in diversity. It's amazing. And we need not, we not let the world rob us of this beauty, but rather we ought to step into it fully and say, man, well, let's be fully men, fully women, fully husband, fully wife in the way God designed us. And ladies, I want you to hear this. There's a heck of a lot of power in you being a woman. I mean, you know, Greek wedding, what's it called? Forget the name of that movie. Yeah, that one. My big fat Greek wedding. You know, the ladies say, he may be the head, but we are the and the neck turns the head. Okay, that's bad theology, just to be clear, okay? okay. But I want to say this. You have, you have so much dignity. You know, you know who influences me the most in my life other than Jesus Christ? My wife. Do you know who I've become because of Janie? I've become a better man a better version of a display of God's glory as a man because of my wife. And I think she would say, Jeff, make sure you say it the other way too. She's become a beautiful picture of God's glory as a woman because of me, her husband, pouring into her and laying down my life for her. I hope that's what she would say. We need each other. And there's beautiful glory in this. And what what Paul wants to make sure we understand is that all authority... has the opportunity to honor or dishonor. And here's the other thing I want you to hear. All authority is given. All godly authority is given, right? If you have anybody who just takes authority or feels entitled to authority, they are likely very ungodly in their authority and it's usually very destructive. But Jesus himself didn't take authority. He was given authority. And how did he get it? By submitting. And that's the thing I want you to hear. All submission to God and his ways leads to authority to ap- represent God and his ways. That's how it works. All submission to God and his ways leads to authority from God to display his ways and the ways he wants. So Jesus himself comes. He says, I don't do anything that I want. I do only what the Father wants. I come to do the Father's will. And then what does he say at the end of his ministry? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How do you get that authority? By submitting to the Father. And so what Paul wants us to understand is all of us have a way to get the authority God wants for us, but it always comes in the form of submitting to the authority he's put over us. All of us. Me preaching right now, I only can do it because of the authority over me. And as soon as I despise that authority or try to take control of that authority, I should not be up here preaching anymore because I should only be in submission to gain the authority that I have to preach the gospel. So I want you to hear that because what's going on now? Let's go back to the idea of this particular church and their context. Is so all you're going to like, okay, so what does this mean for head coverings? <laughs> okay, let's, let's bring this to a close. Here's what's going on. In light of all that I just taught, the women are coming in and their newfound freedom to use their gifts in public worship, which we want to keep growing in here at Doxa. They, they're, they're throwing off everything that distinguishes them. Completely. And in a sense saying there is nothing different anymore. And what unfortunately that's doing is not only is it dishonoring their husbands because they're saying, I mean it'd be like last week when Hannah was up here. Wasn't that beautiful we got to hear from Hannah and her husband Nathan? Did did you guys enjoy that? I hope so. Yeah. It would be like Hannah going, hey, just so you know, taking the ring off. Because that's the only thing we've got that's equivalent to the sign of submission and, and in our, to our marriage vows. To be like her taking the, the ring off, but even further, her dressing in a way that's very inappropriate in front of you, and the, some of the men are going, like, I can't, I can't even, I can't listen. She's not a dishonored husband, but she's, she's dishonoring all of us. Because she's not only saying, I don't have to submit to my husband or even be faithful to my vows, but I'm telling you that I'm available. That's what was going on. Okay? So dishonoring to God. Now, the other is true. The men were covering up their heads. They're saying, this is ultimately not about Jesus. And in some ways, I'm almost afraid to be a man and stand up and, and do what God's called me as a husband. And there's a sense of shame and covering in covering my head. As you see what's going on in the worship, they're going, man, they're dishonoring their marriage vows and they're dishonoring the body and they're dishonoring God because they aren't willing to submit to what he's laid out for us. So here's what I want for us, Family. Men, be men. Don't be ashamed. Husbands, love, serve, lay down your, your life for your bride. Come into the gathering with her and encourage her and affirm her and build her up and do that in your home as well. Women, submit to your husbands in a way that allows them to be what they're meant to be for God's glory and you're good. Don't despise them, don't dishonor them. Men and women in the room, please, let's not dishonor men and women. And I can't tell you how many times I, I see women tearing down men and I'm like, come on. You, you've been given to actually build us up. We need that from you. And, and women, I'm, so, I'm sorry, men, please stop tearing down women. This world is just destroying each other. We can't, we've gotta be a different culture. Amen? And, and, and wives, don't talk about your husband in demeaning ways to other wives. Husbands, don't tear down your wife in front of other men. And then when we come together, let's honor God in the way that He's ordered all these relationships, as best as we know how, so that He's honored. Because it's His it's His plan. It's his, His His agenda. It's His command. And then let's honor each other by thinking about how every action we engage in speaks well of the opposite sex. Can we do that, family? Let's pray. Father, as we continue to navigate in a culture that seems to want to destroy any distinction whatsoever between men and women, we want to honor the fact that you made us different on purpose. We want to glorify you and your plan. And we want to honor each other. And so please forgive us for any way in which we've degraded somebody of the opposite sex, whether that's our spouse or a friend or someone that we have a hard time even being a friend with. Lord, I I just pray that we would be a people who glory in what you say is glorious, who honor what you say needs to be honored, who are willing to be a different people in a world that increasingly cannot find a way to just embrace how you designed us. And Lord, for all who are broken because of sin and And even the ways they've been raised, Lord, I pray your grace on them, that they would, that all of us would see that you're gracious to all of us as we struggle with these things, that we need your help, that we need your eyes to see, we need your healing for the wounds that we've had. Uh, We we, we really need Jesus. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you, though you could have just held on to position, you, you set. Position aside and became a servant to come and not only forgive us, but to heal us and to make us new. It's because of that that we praise you. It's because of that we pray to you. And it's because of that we remember you and we'll remember you again right now. In Jesus' name, amen.